0: This is your host, Caitlin Cook, and welcome back to the Dead Cape Bounce Experience. This week's guest is the one and only DeFi Dad. As you might have guessed from his name, DeFi Dad is an early DeFi super user, as well as an educator, investor, and host of the DeFi Talks with DeFi Dad show. Now a partner at Fourth Revolution Capital, he invests in early stage DeFi, Web3 Media, and Web3 Gaming projects. DeFi Dad and I discuss what beginners need to know about, well, you guessed it, DeFi. Decentralized finance is a term used constantly in the crypto space. We define DeFi in plain English, as well as discuss the most common ways in which a crypto beginner will be exposed to DeFi innovations, current issues being faced in the space today, and more. This is often made to be an overly complicated topic, and I can confidently say that this is one of the best DeFi primers I've ever heard to date with that, please enjoy my conversation with DeFi Dad. All opinions expressed by your hosts and the podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of the hosts or any of their affiliates. This podcast is for commercial and informational purposes only, is not investment advice, and should not be relied upon for any investment decisions. We are not recommending any securities or cryptocurrencies, nor is this an offer or sale of a security or cryptocurrency. DeFi Dad, welcome to the podcast.
1: Hey, thanks for having me, Caitlin. Yeah, glad to be here.
0: Super excited about this. And I have to start by asking about the name. So how does one get called DeFi Dad? Was that self-proclaimed or did you get named that after you started doing everything in the education space? What's your origin story there?
1: Yeah, so I got into crypto in late 2017, I had truthfully never really spent any time trying to learn about Bitcoin up until then I'd heard of it and kind of knew that it was digital money but really never paid attention and then I had a friend who I worked with at the time in a you know pretty typical sort of early stage tech startup in the Bay Area uh he was you know pushing that I should learn more about crypto and you know just like that it was a mashup of all these ideas and topics that would be interesting to me and and I, I truthfully always think back to that as like, what, what, like a fork in the road is that? That someone aggressively pushed on me, like, you really need to learn about this. He showed me a video of Vitalik at the time. The video was, was pretty old already. It was about two or three years old. And it was Vitalik explaining Ethereum. And I just started to like ask more questions, like, what, what exactly? is the purpose of all of this um the name ethereum too sounded really sci-fi to me so i i something about it caught my attention so uh fast forward at the time we had a about a one-year-old baby our, our first son and as i would put him to bed at night i would normally rock him to sleep and so in doing that i had a lot of time to pass and so i started reading about crypto I would listen to podcasts, read white papers, kind of do the thing that I I think a lot of people do in getting started. There's a lot of self-learning. And if you fast forward then, like I would say into maybe December 2017, I had started to buy small amounts of crypto. I I, I didn't have anything substantial. Uh, I was kind of just dollar cost averaging in, but I was reading more. And I was at least trying to convince myself that it wasn't about the number going up, that I was really interested in like the fundamental impact of uh, crypto at the time, which was, again, mainly for me, it was Bitcoin and, and Ethereum. And so by the new year, the markets are crashing. Everything's falling apart. My little portfolio that had grown a lot in just a few months, you know, it had grown more than I'd ever seen stocks grow in my entire life. Uh, suddenly was crashing and I was just as engaged. I felt like I wanted to learn even more. I recognized that I, you know, might have bought at the at a less ideal time. And I, I started to pursue finding like a full-time job in the space. And so by mid 2018, I had basically stalked down a job recruiter at consensus, gotten them to hire me as uh I was kind of like a marketer across lots of teams, but also like a project manager. So I I wasn't a a technical uh, contributor. I wasn't a developer, which was very hard to find jobs for at the time. And so for the next two years, I would then work at consensus across lots of teams. But most specifically, I got to uh, be a part of the leadership team for a conference called ethereal which is very much like a tedx event but for ethereum uh developers and this is where the defi dad finally comes in in spring of 2019 you know i was already watching twitter very closely i i had figured out that all the information the most like cutting edge information was actually being shared in the crypto community uh on twitter and i i started to you know just reshare and post Uh, tidbits about uh, new DeFi applications that I was trying. And at the time, basically nothing existed. I mean, there was Maker, there was Compound had like maybe 50 million in it in the summer of 2019. And so the fact that I was the fact that I was using it, you know, I was starting to deposit small amounts of dye into Compound or I was starting to play with pull together. Zirion was like one of the only—I think it was the only—DeFi dashboard at the time, and so I—I I quickly realized like I might be doing something that no one else is doing. Like even at Consensus, there were boatloads of colleagues who were just, you know, of the mindset that we had many, many years before crypto, specifically Ethereum applications, would ever become useful, and meanwhile. I was like, I'm earning 20% on Dai, you know, which was, you know, like a mind-blowing opportunity because interest rates uh, in the traditional world were super low at the time. So I started in, in posting all of all of these, um, you know, guides and and simple like uh, screen shares of how I was using the applications. Uh, by like December, DeFi was like really starting to, I would say, blow up in the mainstream of crypto. You know, there was more people starting to realize there was opportunity. And and so anyways, yeah, I I, I think at the time I had an anonymous account that said Crypto Dad and, and there's like a bunch of Crypto Dads out there. So I rebranded as DeFi Dad. And uh, I, I got to say at the time, it was a very mindless decision. I love DeFi. I thought it was like the first killer product market fit for uh, for Ethereum specifically and really for crypto beyond just speculation. And uh, yeah, it's it's funny now, I even though DeFi um, has died down in terms of the euphoria compared to 2020 and 2021, I think obviously it's it's in the very first inning or two of its life. And yeah, I'm, I'm very bullish, obviously, on the on the growth of it in the coming decades.
0: You teed things up perfectly for me just because this is such an important episode and I'll I'll try to stay off of my soapbox here, but for understanding the entire movement of crypto as a whole and kind of the changes that this technology is trying to implement and just really create a system that's more efficient, can do things in a way that we haven't seen in the legacy side of things. So I want to start out with a very simple question and that is what is DeFi? How does it differ from the centralized financial system as we know it.
1: All right, we start to work through these very <laughs> simple but somewhat hard questions. Uh, okay, so to like totally to totally dumb down how I think about DeFi. Uh, DeFi is uh, digital finance that is uh, powered by crypto assets. So there is like a digital scarcity to this and it's settled on a blockchain and all of the interactions that mirror uh, parallel, you know, uh, traditional finance use cases, uh, they're allowed to happen in a trustless manner because of the way that a blockchain works. So it, it really just means that we're redesigning finance so that we don't have to have as many of the middlemen or middlemen at all. Uh, and we can basically depend on software that automates the way that you would use, again, money in the traditional world. Um, the way that it differs, I think I started to sort of touch on that. Uh, w- one of the most obvious is it's permissionless. And that word permissionless just means you don't have to ask permission or be granted permission to use this. And so, DeFi, uh, you know, real DeFi, pure DeFi, not like DeFi use cases that have been uh, adopted, let's say, by a centralized exchange. DeFi is where I can permissionlessly access an application. Normally, I use something like a web browser wallet like MetaMask. Uh, as long as I've got an internet connection, though, as long as I can go through the steps of setting up a crypto wallet like MetaMask, Uh, I can get onto the Ethereum network or some other uh, similar networks, and then I can start to access these different applications like lending, borrowing, and trading. Um, The nature of those protocols goes back to what I was explaining earlier. They, They have to be trustless. So I would think of it as just automated software, software that can essentially run without any input from us, or any other like third party you know you should be able to get on there and lend without you know somebody clicking a button on the other side uh and then what's really interesting about this is these are these are systems that are designed to act like a flywheel they're designed to uh incorporate incentives that keep everybody sort of working together so that for example you can lend but you can know that for example, if I'm a borrower, there's an incentive for me to pay back my loan or else my collateral will be liquidated. Uh, and as a, as a lender, I'm obviously you know, risking depositing my money in order to earn interest from borrowers. Uh, so I guess to, to sum it up then, like DeFi compared to the traditional finance system, I mean, it's faster, saves you time should save you money should offer you ultimately better rates because of all of the costs that are saved operationally Uh, and in many cases it allows us to do things we otherwise could not do Uh, there's a lot of DeFi use cases which mirror the types of services that very wealthy people have had, had access to for a long time you know being able to just borrow against things that you own whether it's like let's say property uh or Let's say you have a a portfolio of stocks you want to borrow against in DeFi. You know you can go in and essentially put up tokenized value in the form of let's say multiple tokens on Ave, and then I can just borrow against it instantly. Um, so I'll I'll pause there. But yeah, hopefully that starts to give you a sense of some of the differences.
0: No, it's perfect. And I think this is an interesting time to be talking about it because we've seen DeFi is thrown around everywhere, right? And you just explain what it is, which is obviously helpful. But we've seen a lot of experimentation in the space too. And to your point, on like the core DeFi projects that be working that are being worked on, a lot of it is just taking a lot of the necessary functions in the traditional world, lending, borrowing, trading, and bringing them again to your point, a way that's faster, cheaper more equitable, easier to access, hopefully, for everyone that has internet connection anyways. And in terms of use cases, I kind of want to dive into that a little bit more just because we see a lot of experimentation, which is a necessary component in any space and getting that up and running and having new innovations and whatnot. But what are the most common use cases of DeFi today? And just for people who are just starting to learn about it, just coming to DeFi, how would they most commonly interact with that?
1: Yeah, good, good question. Uh so I'm gonna go super basic on a few of these and then call out, I think, some of the more like advanced use cases, but they're they're very popular in DeFi. So I think first off, just being able to store value that is digitally scarce is very valuable. And I think to be fair, Bitcoin on the Bitcoin network, that that original use case of having digitally scarce value being able to send it like that's the original DeFi use case now you when you see ethereum uh launch ethereum now allows us to use smart contracts which essentially say if this then that which allows you then to ultimately program all sorts of different like money applications or or what we call money Legos so the, the second, I think, most obvious use case beyond like a store of value is a medium of exchange. And I, I think the real like breakthrough on Ethereum was that when the Maker uh, protocol was uh, created, I think it was launched in 2017, uh, or at least was in development at that point, Maker allowed us to uh, uh, store a certain amount of Ether and to borrow a lesser amount in in a stable coin that is pegged to the US dollar uh and it by the way it could be pegged to all sorts of other currencies in the future but for right now stable coins still tend to be associated with the US dollar and so that that's a very powerful use case uh in fact I'd have to look up on coin gecko but the amount of stable coins that exist today is just mind-blowing. I mean, we're in the, I believe we're in hundreds of billions at this point. I'm trying to look it up here right now. But anyways, um, those, those stable coins were a breakthrough because even going back to five years ago in like, let's say 2017, if you were going to send value, if you were to, let's say, exchange fiat, Uh, like a US dollar for Ether, if you did that on an exchange like Coinbase and you sent it to another exchange and the whole purpose of this was really just to, you know, transfer that value when you're dealing with volatile assets like Ether or Bitcoin or really anything else that it's not, you know, pegged or stable. You're you're dealing with you know potentially your value going up or down in that time. So you know we live in a world where most of us are dependent on a, some sort of fiat currency, the U.S. dollar being the the most popular of those. And and so this this is huge. You know this is this is bridging the legacy world to the world we live in now. And I think it's it's probably one of the use cases we most take for granted nowadays. So once we get past that store of value, medium of exchange, which sort of incorporates to all of the uh, benefits of self-custody in a crypto wallet, having total control of those assets where no one can access them unless they have your private key or seed phrase, which you should never share with anyone, uh, you you then get into trading. So five years ago, if you were using Binance, Coinbase, whatever, most trading activity happened on centralized crypto exchanges. Nowadays, while those have continued to grow um, and they have th- those services have clearly grown the, the crypto pie, uh, we have a tremendous amount of activity now that's shifted to on-chain with what, we, what would be called a decentralized exchange or an automated market maker. The darling of, of that category tends to be Uniswap. Uniswap allowed us to start to market swap or market trade uh, two different tokens. And uh, interestingly enough, it also created a model where we could become liquidity providers and earn a share of the trading fees uh, just by depositing the two tokens that were going to be traded in the pool. So if if you wanted to trade ether and DAI, you had to have someone else who was brave enough to deposit an equivalent amount of ether and Dai, and then as folks are trading between those those tokens you're earning uh, a, a portion of the trading fee uh, which the uniswap protocol was charging but the point is is here's an example of of another use case which has created incentives that allow two or more parties to come together and all of the interactions are essentially automated and they're provable Thanks to cryptography and and everything else that sort of goes into uh, using digital assets. Um, so I, I would say trading was probably the third largest. I won't go as into detail about this, but it's it's worth noting that uh, decentralized uh, perpetuals was a, a big sort of category, less common for the average person to use, but. Back in the day like the the dydxs of the world which really i want to say dydx is probably one of the few they were sort of pioneering the fact that you could trade with margin or that eventually you could uh trade with a perpetuals market and be able to have you know leveraged exposure to something like ether um you could you know long it short it uh these these are you know really powerful use cases that you would otherwise have to you know normally go through a centralized service in the legacy world um and and previous to that you know you didn't have the access that you did with with cryptocurrencies but with with DeFi you have all the benefits we talked about earlier it's permissionless it's trustless you know it doesn't matter what geography you're in as long as you have an internet connection you should be able to access it uh And then I would say the final use case, like worth noting now, and again, there's lots and lots of other use cases, but if we're talking strictly DeFi, we're not going beyond the boundaries of DeFi into like gaming, Uh, there's lending and borrowing. And Maker, I sort of touched on it earlier with them uh, pioneering the idea of a stable coin that was over collateralized with ether and pegged to the US dollar. But uh, Maker really, made it possible for us to to put up a store of value ether and borrow against it in the form of a stable coin and and that's huge because that that's a huge part of what allows most to accumulate wealth if you find a good store of value i think like any very wealthy person will tell you you want to sit on that long term and if possible you want to be able to borrow against it so you so that you don't trigger you know uh, you know taxable events along the way and so maker was just a huge innovation following that though we had what are what you know should more appropriately be called money markets where you have two sides lenders and borrowers and that is just a magical sort of use case like the fact that you know in in the summer 2019 I was you know um you know screaming at my friends like I'm earning about 20 percent like this isn't a scam it's actually all very transparent I can see on chain like where the money is I'm assured getting my money back pending some sort of like black swan event I'm assured getting my money back because the protocol is holding more money than what borrowers have borrowed and they can liquidate that if these people don't pay it back or maintain their loans and so I still think lending. I guess I would throw in there staking as well. Staking in the sense of uh, a proof of stake protocol like Ethereum, where it relies on people staking ether. Um, anything that you can, any, anything that allows us in DeFi to continue to hold something long term that we believe in, that we think will go up in value, and passively earn uh, income or interest or whatever it is something you call it like a almost like a dividend and in terms of some use cases. uh, That's very powerful that that to me is just such a no brainer you're already long ether you're already long or happy to be holding a pile of stable coins. Because you need it for bills and everything else in your life, the fact that you can lend that and passively earn uh, again interest or staking yield is, is just huge. So I'll, I'll pause there, but yeah, hopefully that gives you a sense of some of the most popular use cases.
0: Definitely does. And it's funny you mentioned stable coins as well as probably one of the biggest applications there is of DeFi. And you're totally right. It's very much kind of a, you don't even think twice about it anymore. And I don't even know if a lot of people would consider that when they think of DeFi, but it's such a critical component of that entire ecosystem that most people just don't even Give a second thought to. Um, but I do want to focus on what comes up most from talking to the traditional finance crowd, at least in the past few years um, or past year even, is the opportunity when it comes to yield. A lot of people looking from the outside in can't wrap their minds around how are these yields possible, first of all, without it being a scam. What's the catch here? Too good to be true. You know, maybe not sustainable. Maybe it is. Um, But I think there's a lot of myth busting that needs to be done when it comes to staking and other opportunities to get yield in the DeFi space and how it's possible and how it works, because that yield is super attractive, especially when you look at an equivalent in the traditional side, whether that's like a money market or a CD and the rates that you're getting there are minimal like they the numbers are so so small and you compare that to the opportunities in DeFi and that catches people's eye but it really gets them unless they're educated on it usually pretty skeptical so I don't know where you want to start there but I think it's an important topic just to get through you know how are these yields possible right now? Um are they sustainable? Um I feel like the answer is probably no on some some of the numbers we see these days, but how are how are they possible now and how does it work?
1: Yeah so lately those yields have dropped a lot Uh, we all know uh yields have come down as the economic activity within DeFi has gotten quieter and quieter since a few years ago so why don't we talk about the problem uh about two years ago the problem that that was under the hood that was actually powering a lot of the yields the numbers that everyone was focused on I'm earning 200% Two hundred percent APR, APY, whatever it was, these numbers that truly did look uh, unrealistic. A lot of them were propelled by uh, new tokens being created. So there were new protocols, and obviously there was a lot of excitement, specifically around DeFi. And so there, there was an innovation there that that I think will outlast, you know, this past cycle, which was. We should be rewarding those who are early participants in our protocol, who are willing to risk their liquidity, who help us to bootstrap liquidity. That's fine. The issue is when there's an expectation of outsized returns for participating in the protocol. And and so what happened at the time is there was a massive amount of speculation around certain tokens. Uh, many of which too i would say are still like the the blue chips of DeFi. these are protocols that are very battle tested they're going to be there i believe years from now um, you know they are the sort of foundational building blocks of DeFi. but nonetheless they suffered from over speculation which eventually resulted in call it a bubble popping or you know, a typical sort of crypto market drawdown of 85 to 95 percent in token value and so uh a simple example of this was uh compound compound kind of kicked off what was referred to as DeFi summer they enabled you as a lender or borrower to earn uh, a portion of their their comp token so they, they basically said, hey, everyone, we've been running this protocol you know, ourselves as a core team, but this thing is meant to be community owned. We would like it to be community owned by those who are the users along with us as the core team and other investors that were already involved. And so it would be like Google rewarding people in Goog, the, the stock, for searching. If you could earn like fractional amounts of it, uh, which would clearly be wildly popular among users of google in DeFi uh, specifically here with compound uh, we had users who started to earn the comp token and what's really radical about this is you were earning it in real time and could instantly claim and because it's an erc20 token it means that it can be tradable now on any decks where people are willing to provide liquidity so at the time it was uniswap uh, specifically um, and a few other amms as soon as that comp token went live uh, that there were folks who were willing to put up that comp token plus let's say ether or like a USDC stablecoin, and now you have a market you have liquidity providers providing liquidity you had uh, those who were obviously wanting to cash in on that early comp token and you had others who wanted to buy it and speculate on its value and this basically was like a rinse and repeat with Countless protocols, uh, many of which you know today again are thriving and are exponentially larger than they were back then. But there's no doubt there was this like run up on the yield around that time. As this sort of like rinse and repeat process is happening, it's obviously minting new wealth for lots of different folks in the space, and so since you can essentially sell any token as long as it's a standard erc20 token uh, that is transferable it just means now that you have money flowing in all different directions and so at the time you had lots of folks creating new wealth by being liquidity providers in in um some cases they were they were also earning airdrops as well so there started to be like a retroactive reward for many of us who had been providing liquidity without any sort of expectation of a reward and then that became a common practice as well and so this concoction of new tokens uh airdrops you know to I would say a, a fairly small group even though the DeFi space had grown a lot you know we're we're a small group within the crypto space and the crypto community is a small community within know the respect of the entire world and and so then you have uh i guess yeah this new money that's being sort of you know pushed around and reinvested and and during that time to bring it back to the yields uh as folks are accumulating new tokens which some of which they're seen as a store of value even though they're totally new tokens highly speculative and they're Uh, finding support on you know let's say a protocol that is a money market like Aave they deposit that token and now they're borrowing against the token and so that's creating increased demand for stablecoin borrowing and that basically spreads across the space and so now you you not only have the unrealistic uh, yields that are being propped up by uh, newly created tokens that have highly speculative prices that are shooting up you know overnight but you you have like real demand now uh, that is is going parabolic for stable coins so despite the fact that you know many of these yields uh would you know eventually go down over time in some cases they're fleeting you know these are yields that might last a few weeks and eventually a few days and in some cases you know minutes before the yield would get diluted uh you had this increased demand for stable coins and and so since uh since the like let's say 85 to 99 percent drawdown in, in certain tokens per usual in a crypto you know uh bull to bear cycle we're still left with that many more participants that many more builders that many more investors and so the space has grown you know exponentially since the last cycle there was no DeFi in the last bull run uh you know prior to this 2020 2021 and now we have very well established i think product market fit you know this is a home for many of us like this isn't this this is an alternative finance like this is this is the home base for us as finance and basically most most of us I think in this space see off ramping into something like the US dollar like that that is that's leaving the home base because we've got to pay rent or mortgages or whatever bills you have to pay in your life uh until of course you sign up for a crypto powered debit card that hooks up to a crypto wallet like uh like Juno which I was just playing with today Um, and by the way that's not a referral. Uh, not an ad, a, a shill. Yeah, I don't. I I have no upside in it. I I I'm not invested. <laughs> I have no referral link. But I just uh, I played with this this morning, and and you can. I was like, wow, like this is the sort of thing that bridges that many more uh, users into the space. Mm-hmm. So fast forward, anyways, to today. You know, the state of yields in DeFi it is still, I would say, rather impressive, despite the fact we're. Clearly in a recession uh, in terms of like global equities markets. Uh, you know, there's all sorts of scary things like you know, the threat of a, of a World War III, And yet, DeFi is continually seeing new protocols launch. There's a lot more experimentation that's coming, partially because the first phase of DeFi uh, launching was we needed these foundational money Legos that are. You know, things that we can truly rely upon that can be stress tested in markets that draw down 90 something percent and survive, you know, really like, I would say, scary times in, in global markets. And so we have that now with the likes of like a Maker, or Compound, or Aave, uh, Uniswap, Curve, uh, all of these sorts of protocols are are making it possible now for new founders to think, what's the next innovation now that we have these that we can rely upon that are composable and we can sort of build with um and again i would think of them like legos but these are the base legos and those lego you can't do all the cool stuff you know and start to create newer and newer applications if you don't have a foundation that's that's reliable uh and so the the yields today i would say mostly in 2022 in this sort of like macro environment the yields are mostly uh first off they're staking and and this is this is purely in my opinion for proof of stake protocols like now ethereum where you know there is a reward for contributing to uh uh helping the the chain basically come to a consensus and settle transactions and so staking eth today is i think around like five percent if you're using a liquid staking derivative uh second is uh good old lending you know you can still lend on like a compound or ave those yields have gone down a lot i mean if you're lending usdc or Dai, you're probably earning one percent it's pretty pathetic uh right now however there's newer interesting protocols like um i recently reviewed this one called morpho it matches you peer-to-peer for lenders and borrowers and it makes ave and compound more capital efficient so you end up lending at a higher rate and borrowers borrow at a lower rate so a good example of the type of like next generation of DeFi uh, that's coming and then i would say the last one uh last one is still liquidity pro uh provide liquidity provisions so uh, there's I think a lot of money to be made if you are long at least two tokens uh, and you're willing to incur the what's referred to as impermanent loss you can you know go into something like uniswap uh or you know there's all sorts of other new AMMs that are are out there um balancer is another really popular one that has added benefits uh you can basically deposit uh two tokens in in most scenarios in different ratios and then I'm if I'm willing to do that I'm earning a percentage of the trading fees the issue of course is for for someone like uh myself like am I willing to risk putting ether paired with something like a stable coin because as the market is buying back ether I'm technically selling it to the buyers and then as the market is dumping I'm technically buying up ether and giving them my stable coins. So you you have to be willing to, uh, make the opposite play of where the mass market's going as a liquidity provider. But that's why LPs are great for those that are long certain assets and, and want to sit in it forever. Uh, and then if you're doing any, one of the things I mentioned, there tend to still be, uh, liquidity mining rewards. So you can still get paid for providing liquidity, whether it's lending or being like an LP and an AMM. Uh, In most cases, you just have to go out looking for it in places like um, Convex or uh, Concentrator. There are these like yield aggregators that basically help you to automate auto compounding the yield that you're earning. So I'll pause there. Does that? I I just I just gave a lot there, but hopefully that's all making sense.
0: You laid that out perfectly, and the natural follow up with all of the cool things that you just described, um, which versus you know what we see in traditional markets is just like mind blowing and, and so many different levels for many reasons. But the biggest question is how do you regulate that? And I I'm not expecting you know. It's still being worked out, right? But there's so many innovations being built and so many things that have never been done before being done in a decentralized ecosystem where anyone with a computer has the potential to really up and build something new that other people can interact with and the assets can flow into. So from a regulation standpoint, what are are the current issues um, potentially being faced for builders in the DeFi space? How are regulators approaching this um at least as a starting point in the states
1: yeah there's there's a real disconnect right now with regulators uh i would i would say if, if anyone watches this i would love to speak with any regulators i'm, I'm very friendly and uh, would love to help educate you on uh, how some of this works The the cool thing is a lot of DeFi actually will be easily understandable for the most part, for regulators, because it mirrors most of the use cases they're they're used to regulating in the legacy world, the issue though is I think wrapping their arms around how can how can we uh, do our job as regulators but not stomp out innovation, s- scare founders from wanting to work in this space. Uh, basically put guardrails on that will prevent the space from developing as a public good and that you know that that's the disconnect today is that defi is very powerful for you know those again who I think didn't inherit a lot of privi- privilege from the legacy system now i don't deny the fact like like in the legacy system if you have more money and everybody's earning the same yields obviously you stand to to gain more as an absolute amount, like I can earn more yield if I have more money in DeFi than someone else who doesn't. But my point is, is that DeFi is accessible to anyone who's brave enough to basically set up a crypto wallet, connect the internet, uh, and is willing to click, you know, and, and deposit any amount of uh, digitally scarce value that they hold. Uh, so you know one of the things that's that's starting to happen is I think you're going to see more lobbying from the crypto community as a whole specifically uh DeFi uh in Washington DC so by the way too as we talk about this I'm thinking specifically in terms of the US but a lot of this I think can be applied to elsewhere um so there's a lobbying aspect I think there need to be some like landmark court cases as in like potentially lawsuits that will help to set precedents around how crypto should be treated i mean one of our biggest obstacles right now and like i don't wish ill upon him but you know chairman gary gensler of the sec is just incredibly difficult for us to work with uh, he has a very old school view that basically the way that uh, uh the way that they have operated for a very long time, you know, going back to like early 1900s, that that sort of policy and thinking should be applied to today. And, you know, obviously we live in a world now where you have a supercomputer in your hand and, you know, we live in a world where I I think it's very likely that in the future you know, we'll have a very vibrant sort of virtual reality metaverse that people will opt into over the physical world just because of all of the benefits of it. So my point is, it's just technology has advanced and it seems that our policymakers, not all of them, some some of them are, are clearly doing fantastic work, but quite a few of them have not advanced with the times. You know, uh, the way that we uh, oversaw uh, travel by horse and carriage didn't make sense for the way that we would you know think about highways being built and you know the safety of of you know newly created automobiles in the in the 1900s and so i, I think there's a clear parallel there there's also some lessons too to learn from the the even as recent as the 1990s you know there was a government there that was, much more friendly despite some parallel issues, but was much more friendly to the innovations of the internet. Um, and you know, the internet was able to grow, and we were able to see this as basically a public good. But that the the difference now is because of the tokenized value aspect, these new networks can be actually community owned from the start versus, what the legacy internet is is mostly centrally owned by a few very large entities and so that that's the real difference here but it feels like chairman gensler specifically sees this all as you know uh, essentially a, a get rich scheme by the majority of those in this space and it's just a very like poor attitude to bring to the table and so i i hope that others see flaws in his approach um and again I I I wish him well I I would love to I would love to be able to you know provide feedback in the future to you know folks like him who are are thinking about how do we again do our job as regulators but not stomp out like the inevitable future that is coming with with uh crypto asset power digital finance
0: it's a big question too, right? And it, it takes a lot of, you know, it's got to be thoughtful, right? Pave the path forward and not, you know, to like what you said before, drive people from the U.S. to more regulatory, like regulation, sort of crypto-friendly jurisdictions, which, you know, the train's already left the station on it, right? You're not going to back up all this innovation and just completely take it away. It's not feasible. So how how regulators... Face this is going to be super critical. It's been interesting to watch. We're living through a very interesting time right now. In many ways, uh, you mentioned risk of World War Three being another one, but um, just a lot going on. So lots to watch. Lots every single day. I feel like there's something new on that. And you know, the current market environment is also very interesting, which is another thing that I wanted to touch on. Uh, you you mentioned this too. We're in a bear market. Um, and how how is this bear market that we're in today? differ from what we've seen in the past when it comes to crypto markets it's obviously cyclical but i i think the you know how we've seen people in the space inter you know interacting in the past six to nine months how we've seen the markets kind of moving as well is a little bit different so maybe if you could touch on that um for for more current events type of discussion there
1: yeah 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 um uh, w- one last thing to note on uh the regulators uh I think it's important that we we have to help regulators and other policymakers. We have to help them to see themselves in this space. It, it has to resonate with them. And so, I've been very grateful when we've run into policymakers who clearly have young kids or you know young young adult children who are using crypto. Those people bridge the gap. You know because they're showing them and they can see the excitement and the sort of opportunity uh, that they're you know someone that they trust let's say their children brings to the table and so you know i think some of the i don't want to call them real world use cases because uh, i still think DeFi probably grows exponentially and thrives off of off of use cases built for those that are already here and for those who will onboard into this like you know default digital economy but a, a few that come to mind that that I've recently been thinking like these these people can really help uh, you know folks who are much more comfortable with traditional finance see the light. so like maple finance is one that does uh, unsecured or under collateralized lending and they only do it to like market makers, funds, institutions that have such a credible sort of track record that, There's minimal risk. There's still risk, but there's less risk to them defaulting on a loan. And so that's been one I I think, like, again, anything going back to any sort of lending, uh, you know, feels like a use case that should get them excited. I still think pull together is like one of the most interesting gamified DeFi approaches because the lottery, which in most parts of the world is very popular, is, you know, eating up common people's wealth you know and and like it's in my opinion it's a scam like the lottery is all about preying on you know your hopes and your dreams that you'll get rich but the probability is you'll never win now why are we okay with giving people the freedom to do what they want with that money to to you know to play state-run lotteries and and put up in some cases hundreds of millions if not billions of dollars Gambling, you know, that's what the lottery is. Whereas you have something like Pool Together, which harnesses the automation and the power of DeFi to say, how about we all just deposit our money? We will take the pool together and we will deposit into something like Compound, earn interest collectively, and then that interest will be a- rewarded to some random winner. Uh, however, you all can withdraw your money whenever you want you don't stand to lose your principle. Like to me, like this is an example of the, again, trustless sort of automation of DeFi. And, and so, yeah, I still swear pull together is just this killer sort of breakout use case that I, I'm hoping more people get on board, especially like older generations. Um, probably the last one in there is going to be gaming. I think gaming will uh, also sort of bridge the gap. And I, I think that if you're a policymaker, a regulator, and you've got kids, be prepared for their games to be empowered by, you know, tokens, uh, whether it's an NFT or just a standard token. Um, okay. So, anyways, that all being said, uh, yeah. In terms of markets, like, I, I guess, what what is um, remind me again, what's the question here about like the current state of markets?
0: How how does this bear market differ from the bear markets we've seen? in the past when it comes oh to yeah that's
1: right yeah 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 there we go it's just just blabbering on about god knows what uh so uh uh this is really easy nice short answer the the main difference is we have that many more uh participants both builders and uh um actual like investors evangelists users whatever you want to call them uh another major difference is you know we used to live in a world that was very limited in terms of the use cases and and I would say it was mostly just buy and hold and it was all through centralized exchanges now of course we have DeFi and we have all sorts of other web three use cases you know whether you collect art whether you want to buy some you know music as an nft whether you want to play uh, a game games being still in early development but we have lots of web three uh games that will allow us to essentially play a game but have a little more freedom potentially have a token that you can you know cash out or or use to buy something else maybe you you earn an in-game asset for me it's I've mainly been focused on a few different trading card games specifically parallel because I like by the way I hold parallel cards and and uh so Clearly have upside in that, so this isn't a recommendation or endorsement to like invest in parallel uh, cards for any sort of return. But it's a card game; it's a trading card game like Magic, uh, and so that's been a really fun one for me to realize that I'm buying this uh, early art and I'm treating it like art. But in truth, I'm excited to play the game, and actually, I have lots of friends now that are playing the game in early beta and they're just having a blast. You know, they're not talking to me about the values of cards. They're, they're talking to me about parallel, the trading card game. Um, so that, those are the, yeah, those are the major differences, just really strong product market fit. The last bear market was so boring. There was nothing to do. You just basically got more and more depressed realizing between You know january 2018 and i would say most of 2019 until really like defi took off i'd say maybe mid 2019 it was depressing it was it was a very hard time there was a true existential threat of like is this all gonna go away was this all a sham you know in 2016 2017 uh and then i guess the last major difference to call out is layer twos Uh, the fact that we have Layer 2s and other thriving uh, L1s uh, that are, you know, growing their own DeFi and Web3 economies. The fact that, like, the fact that I don't have to focus only on Ethereum, you know, it's still, to me, the most active uh, from an economic standpoint. It's kind of like uh, New York versus, you know, another major... City in the world, you know, in terms of finance um, and and everything else, you know, if you think of Los Angeles, Hollywood as the center of of the film and TV industry, I mean, what's what's to stop another city from fostering that sort of uh, strong network around creativity and creating TV and and, um, and movies? And so similarly, in terms of Web three and DeFi, we're now at a place where uh, it's not just ethereum mainnet um there's you know interestingly i would say the l2s like optimism and arbitrum that are optimistic rollups or zk sync 2 2.0 which is launching soon that's a, that'll be another uh uh l2 that inherits the decentralization and security of ethereum mainnet but allows you to have the speed the lower cost of transacting Uh, it's just wild that we have so many options you know so it's I can't even imagine like what you know another few years is going to look like uh there's you know there's a number of chains that are um they they pale in comparison to the growth that I think is on ethereum but you you have economies that are not going away like uh an avalanche Solana uh cosmos has all sorts of different app chains that are in development a few that are thriving like osmosis um by the way everything i just mentioned too i don't have money in any of these things so i'm just calling them out i I do hold ether obviously but um but yeah just kind of calling out uh some of the other like really exciting communities to track
0: there is it's it's sort of the paradox of choice there's so many different projects being built so many invest like coins and tokens and projects that you can be investing in at this point even in a bear market that it's it's kind of overwhelming and i think if you're if you're resilient enough to make it through the, the bear market that we're in right now and see kind of what comes out on the other side you know, to to your point, a lot of a lot of what's here is going to stick around. So it's definitely you know an, an interesting time, but it's still an exciting one, even when markets aren't looking so hot. Um, and builders are still build, building, which I think is super important. Um, I think we could probably keep talking all day, and at the risk of not <laughs> at the risk of uh cutting things short here, I do have or cutting things before they get too long. Rather, um, I always ask my guests the same ending questions. And they're sort of big ones, more on speculating on the future of the space and best case, worst case scenarios for crypto. And for this one, I'll make it specific to DeFi. What would you point to for if DeFi does blow up in a big way, in a positive way, um, what will it take for it to see that long-term success? And if we look the other way, on the other side of the coin, if DeFi were to just implode, if it were to you know never reach the potential that we think that it should, for all of the reasons that you've talked about in the past hour, what would you point to as the reason for that being? So, basically, what are the what are the risks there that you know DeFi faces? Long question. I think sorry. one of the
1: risks. Oh no, it's okay. Uh, no, 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 it makes total sense. Uh, I think one of the risks we we've already uh, overcome. Th- there was always this risk of something becoming like too big to fail. I guess that that tail risk always exists, you know, could uh, when we saw Ethereum transition to proof of stake, th- there was, you know, a lot of worry. Just what if, you know, there's a very small likelihood that something could go wrong, that would truly like bring the whole crypto community or the Ethereum community to its knees. But even at that point, we had mitigated that risk like there there were always backup plans if something were to go wrong uh so uh, there's there's been events like that that have continually be been overcome and the fact that we have you know the fact that we have so many participants in this space it's just a lot of skin in the game if someone said you know tomorrow uh you know ethereum is going to be outlawed in the united states no one is allowed to use it that would be a huge hit you know on on ethereum specifically or any chain but there's really nothing to stop a majority of the rest of the world then from accessing it even if you make it difficult and and also too like thinking about all the skin in the game if that hypothetical scenario even happened you know you'd have people moving out of the united states and so there is a balance of incentives there that uh at this point there's so much that's been built, there's so much skin in the game, it's going to be, I think, next to impossible to put the genie back in the bottle and tell people to forget about what they're working on, what they're building, what they believe in. You know, there's a, there's almost like a cult-like, I would say religious-like following in crypto that like, you're a part of something that is bigger than all of us. It's a mission that should have a positive impact on you know, everyone if we're successful. And that that to me, that's probably one of the most special parts of the crypto community that sort of drives us forward. And I'd say more specifically to Ethereum and a few other uh, niche communities within the crypto space. I would say one event, though, that falls in line with that sort of high risk, too big to fail, brings us to our knees was Terra, the collapse of Terra. I've I've never seen anything like that where a stablecoin you know goes to zero in a matter of a few days almost overnight you know it was was about 20 billion I think at the time 20 billion of UST I don't have any like flashy numbers to to compare to that but if you look at the the destruction of wealth from you know the Fed hiking rates and all sorts of other factors not that they're all to blame for it if you look at the the amount of value that has been we'll just say destroyed in the stock markets I mean this is nothing this is like you know this is something of nothing like in comparison and so yeah I think if you if you have that perspective you realize that the crypto space I'd have to check now I think we're under are we under a trillion in total market cap right now of of all cryptocurrencies yeah 981 billion as of as of today Uh, october 7th 2022 so you know we're not even a a trillion and you know if, if you look at comparable markets and you consider the virality of this technology the fact that it's open source the fact that hence it can grow as long as people have a connection to the internet and and want to gain access to it i think this is the crypto space in general not not all cryptos but you know the major sort of um crypto assets that you know act as uh, the native token of the major protocols that, that make up crypto it's hard to imagine that we're not going to see market caps in total that exceed you know all of the different like uh parallel markets that define our world today you know i wouldn't be surprised if if uh for example, um, we, we always compare to gold. You know, there is no doubt, uh, whether it's Bitcoin or Ether or or all of all of them together, it's absolutely going to exceed the the market cap of gold. Uh it's it's just, you know, it could be a few years out, could be a decade out, but it's definitely coming. You know, there's 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 no way that you know a technology like this is going to stop growing. And what's different is that this technology has a price tag to it, you know, in terms of a community shared fractional uh, ownership through through tokens. So yeah, it's like I, I feel to, to to sum it up, I don't think anything can stop this space from from growing in the coming years. There will be bumps in the road. Uh, I would say anything short of like World War Three, which which again is scary because there's actually a greater likelihood of that than probably ever before in our lifetime. But um, but yeah, anything short of blowing up the planet, um, I, I don't think it's going to stop crypto.
0: We love it. We love it. And we have to wait to see. Uh, so we'll see how this pans out. Really excited about that, obviously, in the future of everything that you talked about. It's just super exciting to me. I hope it's exciting to the people listening to this. And I have to say, I'm biased uh, because this is my podcast and I asked you to be on it and I worked on the questions for the podcast, but this is one of the best DeFi 101 walkthroughs that I have heard. And I think it's a super critical component of getting traditional finance professionals to onboard into the space. One of the biggest parts of onboarding is education, which I know you do a lot of work around, which I really appreciate. And of course did on the podcast today. So thank you so much for for coming on and taking the time. Thank you to everyone for listening in and we'll be back next week with another episode.
1: Awesome, thanks for having me, Caitlin. And uh, by the way, if if anyone uh, is a builder in this space or knows a builder, uh, one thing I left out is I I now work full time at uh, uh, Fourth Revolution Capital. So we're a venture fund that focuses specifically on early-stage DeFi and Web3 startups, uh, also specifically within what I would call the Web3 media space, uh, which includes Web3 games as well. So if you're an early builder, please consider getting getting in touch with us at fourthrevolution.capital.
0: All right, well, thank you again and thank you to everyone for listening. All opinions expressed by your hosts and the podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of the hosts or any of their affiliates. This podcast is for commercial and informational purposes only, is not investment advice, and should not be relied upon for any investment decisions. We are not recommending any securities or cryptocurrencies, nor is this an offer or sale of a security or cryptocurrency.